I sacrificed historical accuracy at that time because I was trying to do something aesthetically with the way that each of these three women mm. were killed. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Akadi Magazine's Connecting Communities podcast. My name is Abna Sewa and you were just listening to Sharon Dodua Otu, German-British Ghanaian author of Ada's Realm, a book described as genre-busting and time-bending that has already split opinion since its launch earlier this year. In this episode, which is a two-parter, Sharon talks about how she feels to have her novel read by students as part of their course material and why she's helping to amplify the work of up-and-coming Afro-German writers. Um, one thing that I did want to talk about, just going back to gatekeeping, when we look at the Ghanaian narrative, and I did sort of highlight the reference to Obwasi Mines. Yes, that, thank uh, you for that, yes. So there, there are some definite mistakes in the book, mistakes in the sense that I sometimes deliberately did something that wasn't historically possible. Mm. So, for example, one of the scenes where Ada dies, Ada dies, um, she's shot with a gun. That, that wouldn't have worked. It was raining. They didn't have that kind of um, military technology at that time. So that's Ada 3? No, the first one. Oh, OK. They all... They yeah, all, they die, yeah. yeah. And in that, on, in, in that scene in um, pre-colonial West Africa, the gun he was using, it would have needed to have been completely dry. Okay. And even then, like, it just wasn't, guns weren't that well developed back then. It would yeah. have been kind of hit and mid. He would have had to stood for a long time and had help to light the little, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. But I sacrificed historical accuracy at that time because I was trying to do something aesthetically with the way that each of these three women mm. were killed. Um, so there are some things in there where I say, it's okay, it's not a historical novel, it's, a, it's a, an experiment. I always say it's an experiment like, what if history wasn't linear, but it was actually always circulating? Yeah. Not like a, a, a circle, uh, just going round and round and round and going nowhere, but kind of actually more like the symbol of um, infinity. Yeah. That there's a chance to transform what you're experiencing and, and learn something and move on and then return to the past, Sankofa, yeah. to um, learn again for the future. So what if it's like that? That was one of the things I was going with. And then sometimes there were things that I just didn't know. So like you, you mentioned about the seasons. I think yeah. I wrote somewhere that it was summer. Summer, but it was March. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I think I just did not know, or it slipped through with the editing process. And the thing with the Oboasi Mines was I needed to write something. In my memory, I needed to write something to show that there had been trade between the Portuguese and the people living, the African people living there at the time, before um, this whole enslavement of mm. black people started. So there were trade, there were things going on. So it, it, it was just a reference to say, okay, he'd been there before, he'd been to this part of Ghana before, there is gold there. When actually the mines were opened, I think I didn't research that. But one thing I can say is when I was researching for the book and I spoke to an archaeologist in Ghana, I went to the University of Ligon oh, wow. and spoke to somebody there, Wazi Apo, that's his name. Mm. He told me the way I've described the bracelet, nobody would make a bracelet like that. Just, oh. Yeah, there wouldn't be gold pearls held together with a string. They, they would do something. You've seen Ghanaian bracelets, yeah. right? You've never seen a bracelet the way that I've described it. And he said, yeah, that's, 
what is that? <laughs> so, so even yeah. then, him saying that, you didn't think, oh, can I sort of change it so mm. that it's more like what it could have been then? I didn't think that because I... I I can't remember what was the thing I had done. I'd done something where I'd already started to write about the, the number of the pearls or something like that. I'd done something where I thought, I want to retain it. And then I thought, for the, for the actual story, it's okay. Mm. And then it wasn't... Maybe this part historians will be upset with me about, but that, that wasn't important to me, whether that bracelet could have existed in that way or not. That was not that important but I wouldn't have written something like the existence of female husbands and mm. just made that up out of nowhere no. that would have been important yeah. do you see yeah. what I mean yes. but the shape of a bracelet I thought well it's an aesthetic thing I want to talk about these different things that hang together on a yeah. thread and the bracelet passes through time well yeah. I mean honestly I, I think about it a lot is this the same bracelet that yeah. they kept you know just yeah. kept being found in different places yeah. I just love the fact that for me the people were different yeah. if they were different so if Lady Ada Lovelace was this English lady yeah. Yeah. white lady nothing to do with what, or maybe something to do with what happened yeah. in Ghana but you know this idea yeah. that we're all the same yeah. you know and your connection to the bracelets if you think about in the beginning, it was very clear. The bracelet was a fertility bracelet and it was stolen by this Portuguese guy. Yeah. And then in England, you're like, where does this bracelet come from? The, the English people think it belongs to them and they pass it down as a family heirloom. And this was like, honestly, a dig at the royal family and their mm. stolen jewels yeah. and stuff. Like, they think it belongs to them. Yeah. And now the story has developed so far in real life that I've understood that Camilla will not be wearing the crown right with the the jewel is it nor eco or something yeah. from india she will not put that on at the coronation which i think is a good move but yeah this is they've actually just been going around walking around saying this all belongs to us and it's yeah. basically blood diamonds yeah, yeah yeah and then i feel hopefully not spoiling it but ada number four kind of it resonates with what you've just said because those things that we're trying to work out and hopefully get a resolution the resolution is not what I was expecting at the beginning I don't yeah. want to spoil it yeah but basically some of those things don't matter in the end that's yeah. what I because that guy was so manipulative in the in the hospital <laughs> yeah I was just like oh <laughs> yeah you've got to read it I'm yeah. not gonna say so one of the other things that I wanted to touch on just two more is um you mentioned that if you'd have written... Because this book is translated from German into English. And you mentioned that if you'd have written it in English, it would have been a different book, mm. which I think is so interesting because your first language is English. Yes. And then you yes. did learn... Remember when we did the interview, you did mention that you spent some time in Ghana, so you did learn Ga. Yes. But yes. I'm not sure, was that your... I was First so young. I was, no. Okay, that is a complex story. So this is how that goes. I was born in London. I'm going to say I must have spoken English first because we were three when we went to Ghana. Mm. Oh, I was three. So yeah. I was three, three and a half when we went to Ghana. And I remember being in Ghana and not really understanding anything. Mm. And I ended up going to school there. So I was about five when we left. And then... Um, I arrived in the UK and couldn't speak English. This I remember. I have a clear memory of being in school and not knowing what was going on. So I must have spoken fluent Ghan okay. as, a, as a young child. And then my parents did that thing which many, many migrant parents do. They say, speak English at home, mm. which was tragic. 
Yeah, I find it tragic. I understand why, but I find it tragic. And so I don't speak Ga anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for me, like hats off to you that you wrote in another language, mm-hmm. in German. I did German for A-level. It's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> the cases, when ah. you talked about the cases, I was yeah. like... And you're saying that it's still hard. It's like you live, hard. you live there. Das, <laughs> Dane, all of that stuff. Um, and then you wrote the whole book in German. Yeah. And then it got translated. And the fact that you said it wouldn't have been possibly the same book mm. fascinates me. Yeah, because I, I consider it to be a little bit like um, trying to cook a meal... But you only have certain ingredients. And in one, one country, you have these ingredients... I don't know. My favorite meal would be okra stew, right? So in Ghana, it will taste one way. In Germany, I'm going to have to improvise because okra isn't available everywhere. So it'll yeah. come out slightly different. Yeah. And I feel like it's a little bit like that with languages. And also where you live, the things that are being discussed, the things that other writers are writing about, the jokes that people will get because they live down yeah. the road. Da, da, da. Yeah. So it would have been a different book. So the short story that I wrote, for example... I told you that it was about a married couple who were arguing about how long it takes to boil an egg. Yeah. And when I presented that story in the States some time ago, I was told uh, that discussion, that argument between a man and wife at the breakfast table would have been about how strong the coffee is. Uh, right? And I'm guessing that in England, if I'd written the story, the argument might have been about how dark the toast is or yeah, something. You know, yeah. it's, or if you turn the egg over when you fry yeah. it. Right? So, yeah, it's always slightly different, which is why when I read the book in English, and it's a brilliant translation, yeah. and I'm really happy that John did it, he did a great job, but I always feel like, yeah, <laughs> I didn't write that, though. I wrote this, so, uh, yeah, slightly, you know, it's yeah. slightly off-tune or something, but that only I feel that way, I think, because I wrote the original, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that is really fascinating. And that kind of brings me into the world of academia. Again, you mentioned that in the webinar, very good webinar, um, <laughs> where you talked about this interest in Afro-German literature, which maybe isn't as... I, I was interested in actual Germany in terms of people's interest in that kind of genre versus in the US, it was different. Yeah, so the way I guess I'm going to explain it to myself is in the US... There's a sense of, it's it's a bit difficult to generalise, and especially now with what's going on politically with cancel culture and wokeness and such, but in the US, the discourse around race and being able to identify as a black person or African-American or a white person, these are words that kind of just flow, these are discussions that happen. Um, Whereas in Germany, it was traditionally very uncomfortable to do that traditionally you try to say I don't see colour I'm not discriminating against I'm not racist me the last person and I think that had also to do with the fact that back in the day Nazi Germany there was a lot of ticking boxes and marking you know measuring people's noses Mm -hmm. and such and making sure that it was absolutely clear which ethnicity you were Mm -hmm. and there was a certain clear hierarchy of who was the best and who wasn't worth living you know what life wasn't worth living so when, when black people in Germany step forward and say, yeah, I am black, then you'll, <laughs> some people will shudder and some people will think, oh, they're trying to, what you would call in English, play the race card, right? Yeah. And that's just not what I mean when I say I'm black. I'm not saying to you, it's not shorthand for saying pity me or, yeah. you know, I suffer from racism. What I'm saying is I have a lens through which 
Yeah. I see the world. I experience the world in this way. I have a certain connection with other people who have similar experiences. Yeah. Um, my literary uh, traditions draw on people who came before me who also yeah. had these experiences and tried to make sense of it in writing, in poetry, in songs. Um, and I, I have something that I want to communicate. I want to develop a language and an aesthetic that can resonate with people who also have these um, experiences. And white people who want to read it, you're welcome. You can do that too. But I, I'm really writing from... I'm being, I, in fact, what I think I'm doing is I'm being explicit. I think a lot of white people who write are writing from a white perspective and they don't even know it, right? And definitely are not explicit about it and claiming it. They're just like, yeah, it's normal. Yeah. I'm saying, no. <laughs> no, we all have. We all come with something. We all have a lens. And I'm just explicit about naming mine. Yeah, so I think in the, in the States, this was something that was people were, especially in that academia and German studies, people were comfortable with thinking about that. And then they came across, there's one specific black German author that many people, I would say, begin with. It's an author called Mai Ayim. Interestingly, her father came from Ghana. Have you talked about her? Maybe. I yeah. might have talked about her in our last interview. She died in 1996. Yes. So Maya Yim was a poet, among other things. And a lot of people have read her work and it's, you know, been very... First of all, it, it, it articulates an experience that so many black people living in Germany have, or who were born and raised in Germany have, have had and they're just like, wow, somebody gets it, kind of thing. And then this was studied in, in, in the United States in German departments or German language departments. Um, and not so much... It took it to be, sorry, not so much in Germany, it took it to be being studied abroad for it then to be re-imported, so to speak, back. And I feel like a lot of black Germans writing, who were explicit about their blackness, not everybody was, but black Germans who were explicit about, so I'm thinking of an author called uh, Philip Kabelköpsel, for example, who, who was a brilliant spoken word artist and was doing really powerful work and he would be repeatedly invited to speak at conferences and perform uh, abroad. And then it took that recognition for him then to be recognised within Germany. And it's just starting. I want to say since 2020, Black Lives Matter 2020, wow. everything changed. <laughs> I'm going to say it was about that time. There was a, a book published just before mine. So uh, Olivia Wenzel... I think in English it's called A Thousand Coils of Fear. That's just been, it just came out recently in English translation. Olivia Wenzel's book was published in Germany and then my book was published in Germany and then there was a kind of like, oh. <laughs> and now it's finally starting to be treated mm. in, in, in universities within Germany as an as a academic study, a, a serious focus of academic study. I mean, there were people studying it before, don't get me wrong, there were people studying it before, but as a as a discipline where the, the departments are creating proper courses where people can register for the courses and then write a paper on it. I'm getting so many emails from people saying, I've just written my dissertation on Adas Raum and such. That was unheard of before. Yeah. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I mean, it's almost like this new genre has basically been created around works like yours and people yeah. like you. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. It's I mean, it may, it's, it's all the feelings, right? I'm so happy that it's happening. I'm very proud that this is the outcome of all my years of writing and, and um, um, 
political activism and so on, it all culminates in this moment. And it's, I'm, I'm hoping that many, many, many more black Germans can also get their writing careers off that because what tends to happen is um, once one person or two or three people have made it, then people feel like, okay, that's enough, right? <laughs> we're shutting the door. Okay, <laughs> we've got one German, black German author. We're good, right? Let's, and I'm like, no, no, no. It's not the point that one of this and one of that. It's about what we are all collectively bringing to the yeah, table and yeah. all of the story, all of them, all of them. And I am... Um, a black German now, but of British descent, and my German is with an, a British accent, you know. But there are black Germans who are disabled, there are black Germans who are lesbians, there are black Germans who are older. There's a whole range of people we still need to hear yeah. from. And this is just, it should be just, just, just breaking the tip of the iceberg kind of thing. So, so what are you expecting from Britain then? Because today is the launch of Ada's Realm in yeah. this country. What I'm really excited about is the chance to have conversations like this. This has been so good for me because the book will be viewed in different ways according to from what corner you're reading it from. And so I've heard so much about the, the corner from Germany and how most, it's really hard to generalise, but there's a definite aspect of the German part of the story and how much that, of course, dominates in terms of the reviews and such and I was looking forward to hearing what people from the UK think about it also from Ireland if there are yeah, Irish readers yeah. um, and, and hearing about how they would interpret the yeah. messages that are in the book yeah. and I'm so grateful to have then conversations like this yeah. and to talk to people about what they think because yeah as you said at the beginning I am really interested in what comes up when people read it and yeah. it's a I wouldn't have written it this way anyway if I was, but I'm, I'm not so interested in me telling the authoritarian story or the authoritative story of how this book should be read. I'm more interested in, yeah, opening up to conversation. Mm, mm. Yeah. And I'd love to find out what people in Ghana think of yes. this book as well. Yeah. Is it available in Ghana? So I would say that is a question for the publisher, Maclehose Press, because they have the coverage of UK and Commonwealth. So in my uh, mind, that means it must be available in Ghana, but mm. that has to do with distribution, yeah. I don't know. I know that it was launched in Australia, this much I know, but about African countries, I don't know so much, yeah. but I'll find out today. Okay, yeah. Now, I mean, I'd love for, I've gone on about it, so I'd love to know that somebody in Ghana could read it as yeah. well. Uh, and my last area was just about Lit Resonansen. Have I said it properly? Resonansen Literature Festival, yeah. Okay. Yes. You want to know what that is? Well, I know a little bit, but as it relates to how you talked about Afro-German literature and also giving a space for people who are writing about these kinds of areas yeah. to... I don't know, it's to do with agents, knowing how to write and how to have access. They might not have as much access as you. Yes, for yeah. sure, for sure. So... What I basically, in a nutshell, resonance, which is resonances or resonance um, is the translation into English, is um, a theatre festival that I curated in conjunction with a big um, cultural festival called Ruhrfestspiele. Um, they're based in West Germany, Recklinghausen is the place they're based in. And that Ruhrfestspiele takes place every year, has been taking place in, uh, for the last 76 years. Or wow. Very established, very well mm. recognized um, 
festival and I had the one in a lifetime opportunity to be able to to curate something within this mm. festspiele and I asked them if I could do a black literature festival because as I said uh, I've been really really fortunate that I happened to have won this literature prize and with that pachong <laughs> I landed here um, but not everyone's going to not everyone is even going to be aware of the process it would take for them to apply mm. to be considered mm. for this prize that's mm. already like even I didn't know that that prize existed before I was asked if I wanted to participate so all of that I think there are ways that we can make these things more accessible and so my idea for the black literature festival was let me invite six people that I know personally who are writing who maybe even don't see themselves as um, fiction writers like the people I chose partly had written poetry up until then mm. and done spoken word but when I said oh would you be prepared to write a short story I had to really think about it mm. am I gonna do this mm. you know so six people wrote a short story for this festival it was written for the festival and then their stories were read out on stage and then a jury of four people discussed them and this was beautiful because the jury was able to draw out all the complexities yeah. and the subtleties yeah. the jury being people who've, who've studied literature as well yeah so three of the four had doctorates actually mm. um but you would typically not see them writing um being asked to participate in other juries uh, the german ones or german german literature let me say or um, being asked to write anything for literary magazines or you yeah. know, um, newspapers. This is very, very white still. Mm. The people who judge literature yeah. or consider to be authoritarian, they very, 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 and you know, they view it from a specific white German lens. And I was saying, we can, we can, we can have more. We can yeah. have more perspectives, yeah. you know. So the jury discussions were amazing. Yeah. They were drawing comparisons between the stories, but also looking back to African literature, African-American literature, African diasporan literature. The stories themselves, the short stories were very different. One was like sci-fi, one was like a historical mm. thing. One was experimental. One um, writer used a lot of Eve in her text. It was amazing, the whole thing. And so I was just like come on, we can do this. And then we're going to try and get that festival off the ground next year again. We applied oh, for funding. Okay, so it's already happened this year? It happened in 2022, okay. in May. Next year, hopefully, if we get the funding, it will happen again. And this year, we're doing a very shortened version of a festival where we're looking at five books that have already been published. Mm. So last year was the focus on new writers, emerging writers, trying to get them on onto the scene. One of them actually does from that festival, met their agent, they've got an agent, they've now got a book contract. It was great, great, great. Can you name who? That was um, Rafael Efuide Blanc. Um, I think the artist's name is Rafael Red. Okay. And I think Rafael's book will come out next year, I believe, mm. fingers crossed, but she's amazing. Amazing, Brilliant. amazing, Brilliant. yeah. And then this year we're talking um, about five books that have been published. One of them being Puccia Mecheta, Second Class Citizen. That's oh. just been published in German translation. Wow. Yeah. So you, had you been in, or whoever had been in touch with her son, Onwardy, Mr. Onwardy? No. Well, I don't know because oh, okay. I'm only looking at 
finished products okay. that is now going to be discussed. Because I, I interviewed him, you know. Okay. And a lot of the print books had been out of print because I've read every one of her books. Okay, wow. Except for the play, um, A Kind of Marriage. I okay. couldn't find that one. Yeah. So he was telling me that he had to start reprinting them and he changed the covers and all that stuff. I don't know what happened after that. So okay. it's really interesting. That yeah, it's just been published in Germany. It came out, I think, uh, January or February. Okay. And we're going to talk about it at this festival this in year. German though so I in won't German. understand it sad but when is it just in case some of our listeners or we yes. have listeners in German and also sadly it's not going to be online oh. which is really but this is why I dream that yeah. the festival will be online but it's going to be in Recklinghausen of May the 26th in the evening so it's a one evening it's a one evening okay. thing this okay. year okay yeah. and then next year more yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay Brilliant. I'm really, really grateful for this opportunity. I've learned so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for all you do. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode. To listen to more content like this, visit our monthly Academy Magazine Connecting Communities podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, or wherever you listen to your audio. Follow our news on academymagazine.com and academymagazine.co.uk and access exclusive early release content and discounts at ko-fi.com forward slash academymagazine The music in this episode is called Life No Day Easy by Chechuku and the Super Pong Stars and is a special remix exclusively for Academy Magazine. Superapong Stars is a high-octane patchwork of Ghana's indigenous genres, including palm wine music, high life, Afrobeat and Afro-funk. You can find out more about the band on their Instagram, Superapong Stars. Thank you.